We welcome you to the Christian Ministries Church podcast. We believe God has a message for you today that will encourage and speak truth to your heart and life. Let's join Pastor Melanie Bertolio as she shares the word with us today. So tonight we're going to continue with our Faith Heroes series, and we are going to take a look at the life of Esther tonight. Now, how many of you have gone to see Esther down at Sight and Sound? There's a, a few of you that have gone down there this year to see that. I would encourage everybody to. I haven't seen it. I've watched some movies about Esther. I've read the book of Esther many times. Um, I think I know the story well, but I love to see, see a story brought to life in front of me. And uh, so I would love to go see that this year. And I've heard great, great reports about it. But the book of Esther is an interesting book. And I want to just tell you a little bit about the book of Esther, first of all, it's one of the only two books in the Bible that are named after women. Uh, not that that matters. It's just an interesting fact about Esther. Um, the time frame of Esther is about 70... Uh, it, it, it's No, it's. I'm sorry, I'm mixing two things up. The 70-year Babylonian exile, that when the Israels were exiled in Babylon, this book takes place shortly after that. So they are, they've been freed... They are free to go back to Jerusalem, should they choose, um, but, but not everybody chose to go back. Um, and so uh, the Jews are still very much a scattered people, and uh, some of them have chosen to, to go back, but many have, have stayed right where they were held in exile. Um, Esther is the only book in the Bible where God's name is not directly mentioned, um, and there are some people who uh, have a real problem with that. There are people who think that it shouldn't have been included in, um, in the, the canon of Scripture for that very reason. But you cannot read Esther and not see God all over the book of Esther. So it isn't that God's not in it. It's just that his name isn't specifically mentioned. Um, the, the Jewish holiday of uh, they they kind of call it some, by some different names, but the holiday Purim or the Feast of Purim, uh, that is a day set aside every year to celebrate uh, the deliverance of the Jews from Haman, who uh, is, is one of the key characters in this story, who was set out to destroy the Jewish people. And so the, the Feast of Purim is a feast that is still celebrated by Jews today, and it's all about celebrating what happened in the book of Esther where God delivered the Jews through Esther. Um, it's a short book. It's an easy read. It's only got 10 chapters, and chapter number 10 is about this long. So I'm telling you, you can read Esther in, uh, I don't know, it depends on how fast you read. I get that. But you can probably read it in somewhere between 30 minutes and an hour and a half. Okay. So the slowest reader can still probably get through it in about an hour and a half. So um, it's not very long, um, but it's too long for us to read the whole thing here. So we're, I'm going to kind of, I want to kind of go through the, the, the story itself and just kind of summarize the story for you. And then we're going to pull some key things out of it. So I'm not reading the whole thing to you. Please read it verify that what I'm telling you is true. Don't ever, ever just assume that just because someone has a microphone uh, attached to their face that they are telling you the truth. You got to look this stuff up and know for sure. But I want to just kind of go through um, 
a summary of the, the story of Esther. Now, first of all, there are kind of four major players in this story. There's Esther, there's Mordecai, there's King Xerxes, and there's Haman. Um, now, some of you, your Bible may not say Xerxes. It may say, and I, I won't say this right, but Ahasuerus, I, I think is what it might be. Um, but uh, kings were sometimes known by more than one name, and he was, uh, is in different historical um, written things. He's called by different names. Um, but Xerxes and Ahasuerus are the same person. Uh, so no matter what your Bible says, we're talking about the same person. Um, but the Persian Empire uh, was a very vast land. I don't know if, uh, please stay with me. If you're not really into history, it's still important that you know some of this stuff. Um, it was a very, very vast empire. Uh, I don't know of a lot of empires that, that actually include parts of three continents, but the Persian Empire did. It, was, it included um, the eastern part of Europe. Europe. It included the northern part of Africa and then uh, uh, a, chunk, a pretty good chunk of Asia. And so um, it was a very, very, very big empire. And uh, many Jews chose to stay in Persia even after they were freed uh, from their exile in Babylon and they, um, they didn't go back to Jerusalem. Now, there were a lot of them who did and they, there was um, a rebuilding of Jerusalem that was taking place simultaneously to some of the stories that you will read in the Bible about people who didn't necessarily go back right away. Um, and so uh, the Persian Empire is being ruled by King Xerxes or Ahasuerus, and he was a passionate man. Um, he was a very bold king. You will read, if you just go to research him, you'll read that he was a, a cruel uh, king, and you'll read that he was a, a great king. Um, and I guess it depends on which side you were on uh, in, in whatever uh, discrepancy might have been taking place at the time, but um, you can kind of find evidence that he he was was a great king and he was uh, not so nice. Um, but the Persian king being ruled by King Xerxes, he was married to his queen and her name was Vashti. And she was a beautiful, beautiful woman. And the story in Esther kind of picks up where... Um, King Xerxes is having a, a celebration. Now, they celebrated a little bit differently back then than what we do now because it, it was the end of a six-month-long party. That's a party. I, I go to parties, and, and by midnight, i just like, okay, this was enough. You know, I mean, I love Christmas, but by the time, you know, 10 o'clock hits on Christmas night, I'm, I'm worn out, and I, but this was a six-month-long party. And at the end of that six months, um, the king decided to have a special banquet because the six-month-long party wasn't quite enough. So <laughs> this is the after party. Um, he's having a, a banquet for uh, many of the nobles and higher-ups uh, in his um, government and uh, in public life. And so... He, he has this banquet, so Queen Vashti decides that she will also hold a banquet for the women 
in her circle. And so she holds this banquet. Interestingly, I thought, oh, okay, well, they're just going to have one last, you know, the last supper, the last big meal. No, then you'll read on the seventh day of the banquet, and it's like, goodness. My question is, when did they work? I don't know. Um, but, they, um, but they were both holding banquets at the same time, okay? The king is holding his banquet over here. The queen's holding her banquet over here. And on the seventh day of this banquet, the king, who has been now drinking for seven days, he's pretty happy. Um, and he's also very proud because uh, his wife is a beautiful, beautiful woman. And so he is, um, he's been drinking too much and he is, he's whooping it up. And so he decides that he wants to send for Queen Vashti to come and he asked her to put her crown on her head and he wanted her to come to where his banquet was for the purpose of everyone being able to see how beautiful his wife was. So he's just wanting to just brag a little bit because he's drunk. And so he sends for his wife who is also hosting a banquet. Now, I'm just thinking about this in terms of, you know, this is 21st century, you know, Western America. You know, I get, I I don't know how things worked back then, but I'm sorry if I'm in the middle of hosting a party and someone sins and says, hey, stop everything you're doing and come over here. That irritates me a little bit. You know I'm having a party over here. Why are you asking me to stop everything I'm doing and come to you? And then to find out that the only reason that he wants me to come over there is just so he can parade me around. And so she says, Mm-mm. no, not going. Well, that is a no-no. In that culture, that was not, it wasn't just that you don't do that. It wasn't just that it was rude or that it was, you know, disobedient to your husband. It was unacceptable uh, in terms of the protocols for uh, the king and queen and how she was to treat him. And so he calls a bunch of his, his advisors together and he's like, okay, what are we going to do? I mean, I am humiliated here. My queen has said she will not come. And so then they... <laughs> Some of you need to sit in on my, my teaching about women in ministry because uh, until uh, the Babylonian exile, women were actually treated quite well um, in, in the Jewish culture. Uh, but this isn't the Jewish culture. Keep that in mind. But, um, but they all get together and they start talking about it and they start going, well, listen... If the queen will do that to the king, that means every woman in the the empire is going to start telling her husband no anytime she feels like it. And she'll do whatever she thinks she wants to. And, and, And we won't have control over these women anymore. What do we do? And so they decided that the best thing they could possibly do was to... Now, and there there are actually some arguments about this. One of two things happened to this woman. Um, our, my NLT version says that she was banished from, from the king's presence forever. Here's what I think. 
I think that probably wasn't much of a punishment to her the way he was acting. And if, I mean, but that's just me. Um, but she was banished from his presence forever. But some of the older Jewish writings actually say that she was um, executed. So I don't know which one. I, I'm going to choose to believe what my, my book says because um, it's easier to swallow. But, um, but she was banished. And so then the question becomes, okay, now the king doesn't have a queen and, uh, and everybody knows this, and so that the, his attendants get together, and they come up with a plan that they need to go across the land, and they need to find all of the most beautiful women in the country, and they need to bring them into the palace, and they are going... <laughs> there's a lot of funny stuff in this story, but they're going to give them beauty treatments for a year. Yeah. They couldn't even see the king until they had gone through a year's worth of beauty treatments. Now, those in, in, included... I do believe my own husband just said he didn't see anything wrong with that. But We will talk later. So... It's a tough crowd tonight, yes. So, so, so they go out and they start rounding all these people up, all right? So they're going to round up all the beautiful women in the land and they're going to bring them in and they're going to beautify them for a year. Then they're going to just basically run them by the king. I'll explain that a little bit later. But um, so uh, now we're going to back up just a little bit. Esther, Esther was a Jew, Esther was a Jew who was an orphan. Her parents had died, and she had been taken in by her cousin, Mordecai, although some versions say her uncle, but I think most of them say her cousin. Uh, so if, if you're, you're reading something that says uncle, I'm not, that's also a little, we're a little unsure about that. But, but she was taken in, and her, her cousin Mordecai was older than she was, and so he treated her like a daughter, and he raised her himself like she was one of his own daughters, and she was incredibly beautiful. And so when all these people, uh, attendants of the king, go out into the land, and they start trying to gather up the women that are beautiful, she was selected. Now, here's, here's what happened. Mordecai said, don't tell them you're a Jew. All right, because it would not have been okay had they known she was a Jew. They would have, they would have not selected her. But they, they did because she did not disclose that she was a Jew. And so she gets selected. She gets taken to the palace. And after her year of beauty treatments, um, it comes to the point where it's her turn to come before the king. Now, this is a little strange and uh, obviously not, um, these are pagan people, let's keep that in mind, but the, the process for him determining who he would choose was that each, each girl, because they were really, in essence, girls, but each one would be brought to the king one at a time. They would be allowed to choose their own outfit and choose their jewelry, and they would be presented to the king in his bedroom, 
they would spend the night with the king. And when they would come out, they would not go back to where they had come from. They would now be sent to what was called the second harem, which was the place where all of the king's concubines resided. And that is where they would live for the rest of their life unless the king really liked them. And then they might get called back. But for many of these women, the only time spent with the king was the one night they were given an opportunity to get him to like them. And so um, it comes time for Esther to be presented to the king. And she was very humbled and she was um, very uh, intentional about not making any demands. She just, it says that she didn't ask for anything special. She just went and, and humbly presented herself to the king and she spent the night with the king and then she was sent to the second harem and, um, and she didn't know what was going to happen from that point on. Um, but the king loved her. He loved her very deeply, and we'll find out later um, that just how much he loved her. Um, and so he chose her to come to him and not just to be his, uh, you know, an occasional rendezvous, but he chose her to be his queen. And it says that he loved her so much that he actually established a holiday to celebrate her. And, and he gave gifts to people uh, just out of his great love for Esther. And so Esther becomes the queen of Persia. And she's never to this point divulged that she is a Jew. Um, so... Uh, she is uh, in a palace. She is living a life of wealth and, uh, and, and she is lacking for nothing and all is going really, really well for her. Um, Mordecai, the, her cousin, he also got a job within the king's ranks, and it doesn't really give us an idea of what his job was, but he would be at the gate, the king's gate, every single day. And her, so Mordecai one day here, overhears a conversation where two people are plotting to kill King Xerxes. So he gets a message to Esther, and in getting that message to Esther, she tells the king, the king investigates and finds that it was true that someone was going to try to kill him and Mordecai had saved his life. So that's an important factor. Nothing happens other than the king's life is saved and the two people who were plotting to kill him get impaled on a pole. Um, but uh, it, it will come into play later on. But um, so, so Mordecai is working at the king's gate every day. Well, there was a man named Haman who was one of the king's noblemen. And the king decided one day to give him a um, promotion. And he promoted Haman to this job that made him the most powerful person 
in the king's uh, regiment or, or just in, in all of his noblemen. He, this, Haman was the big guy. I mean, right underneath, you know, when we hear about how Joseph was the most important person right under the Pharaoh, that's kind of what Haman was. He was the second man in command. And so Haman was very proud of himself. And Haman uh, began to demand that all of the other people under the employ of the king, he began to demand that, he, that they bow down to him. The only problem is that Mordecai is a Jew and he loves God and he refuses to bow down to Haman. And this infuriates Haman. He absolutely just loses it over this because he, he wants everyone to bow down to him. And so he begins to plot uh, how he might not just hurt Haman, but how he might destroy every Jew, because he knew that Mordecai was a Jew. He did not know that Esther was related to Mordecai. He just knew that Mordecai was a Jew. And so he begins to plot how he could kill and destroy all of the Jews in the Persian Empire. And so he goes to the king, and he gets the king to agree that, and it was very, very strange, but yes, you can destroy them all. They're I give you permission to destroy all the Jews, and they come up with a date. It was like March 7th of the next year, we shall slaughter the Jews. And that was literally a written public decree that was put out, and that was the plan. Well, Mordecai, when he hears this, he tears his clothes, he puts on burlap and, and covers himself in ash and he, he, he just begins to mourn and wail and weep. And uh, someone in Esther's group of attendants sees this and he gets a, a message to Esther through them and Esther finds out what's going on. They're going to kill all of the Jews. And, and so um, Mordecai's like, you, you're going to have to do something. And Esther's like, it is against the law for me to go to him without an invitation. And what does it mean in, to Esther in that time that it's against the law? It means that it is, if the king doesn't extend a special circumstance and, and extend his gold scepter to her, she's going to die. They're going to execute her because she has overstepped her boundaries with the king, and that the, the, the result of that is death. And so um, Mordecai tells her, hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to hear, hear me what I'm saying. He says in, verse, in chapter 4, in verse 14b, he says the words that we've all heard many, many times, but he says, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. And in verse 16, he tells her, he says, go and, or no, then she answers back. And she says this, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa, which is where the king's palace was. So it's a big city. And she says, fast for me. Get all the Jews in Susa to fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. Then in, in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, On the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robe and entered the inner court of the palace. 
just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and held out the gold scepter to her. Now, I wish we had some big boomy music playing right here because we're talking about, I mean, until he held that out, she didn't know if she was going to live or she was going to die. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. And then the king asked her, what do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you even if it is half the kingdom. So we pro- I think we all probably know most of the, the, the rest of the story. The Jews are saved. In, in, the mid, in, in the process of the Jews being saved, 75,000 of their enemies, people within Persia who hated the Jews, are actually defeated and killed. Um, and interestingly, Haman, who hated the Jews and hated Mordecai specifically, he had gone so far as to build a pole in his uh, yard to actually impale Mordecai on that he winds up getting impaled on the very pole himself that he, he built to impale Mordecai, and Mordecai gets to live. Um, Mordecai then is given charge over all of Haman's property, and um, Esther and her people are saved. And it is, it is something that is so incredibly important to the Jews that they still celebrate that today. It was impending doom for the Jewish people in a way that I don't think we as Westerners can really understand, but it, this was big, big, big. So I want to talk just real quickly about things we can learn from Esther. And I couldn't even begin to hit all the things. There are a lot of types and shadows in this story. I mean, Esther is a type of, of, of Jesus in that she delivered her people uh, from the destruction of the enemy. Um, So there are a lot of things that we could really focus in on, but I want to focus in on four things. Um, The first one is this, that things are not always what they seem. Now, we are just sometimes the worst people when it comes to looking at someone and thinking that we can just evaluate their entire life just by what we see. But when you look at Esther, you think about Esther. She was chosen because she was so incredibly beautiful. I mean, she became queen because she won a beauty pageant is ultimately what happened. She was that beautiful. She lived in, in opulence. I mean, everything was so beautiful. Everything, everything was just handed to her once she became uh, the queen, she didn't have to want for anything. She had attendance to attend to her every need. She had the most beautiful clothes. She had the most beautiful jewelry. She ha- wore a crown on her head. She, she was, according to appearances, living in the lap of luxury. But let's think about her life. She was orphaned. And it tells us that they went and gathered women up, but it never tells us that she wanted to go. Now, I think she made the best of it, but it never says that she, was, she volunteered or was glad to go. She just was taken from her home. And then without, she was given to a man not of her own choosing, 
And then she was chosen by him and knew going into the situation that she would be chosen by him based on performance, not based on love or it, it was all about her looks and her performance. And then when she becomes queen, she's having to hide who she really is. And then suddenly, by no fault of her own, the fate of her entire nation is resting on her shoulders. So don't judge someone by what they look like on the outside because we have no idea what a person is dealing with on the inside. And, uh, you know, there are people who, and I praise God for these people, people who are determined to see the bright side of life. Keep on the sunny side. There are people who do that. They live like that. But that doesn't mean that life is easy for them. That doesn't mean they haven't experienced loss and heartache and difficulty. There are pe- uh, Rachel was telling me a story here about a month ago of someone uh, that, had, that was a, a staff member in a church that she knows something about. And this, this woman was the secretary and had been the secretary of the church for 20-some years, I, th- I think is what she said. And she died from cancer, and no one that she worked with knew she had it. Because she was determined to, first of all, she was believing for her healing. And, and she was determined that she was going to live every day. But, you know, I bet she had some down days. I bet she went through some difficult times. And I know from what we know about Esther that things were not what they seemed for Esther. So that's number one. Things are not always what they seem. Number two, silence in the face of evil will result in destruction. Chapter 4, verse 14 says, If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise. From some other place. But you and your relatives will die. See, God's always going to make a way. There's always going to be a remnant. He's not ever going to let everyone be destroyed. But if you don't do the thing you're called to do, you might be destroyed. Even if it's just having to live with knowing You didn't do what God called you to do. So silence in the face of evil will result in your destruction. Um, We're living in a time of great evil right now. Evil has always existed. But I don't know if, if it's ever existed in the way that it does right now, which is... It, exi- it is in your face, and people are unapologetic about evil. There have always been pockets of that in the world, but right now it's just everywhere. And, you know, one of the reasons we're having a culture conference is because we, we need to teach Christians how to live life in the face of evil, how to stand up against evil, because the fact of the matter is there have been too many people just standing on the sidelines, being silent, not willing to put up a fight 
for the last several decades, and that's why we are in the situation that we're in, in now. How has that worked for us as a country? How would, how would that have worked for Esther? God would have, have raised someone up, but it would have looked very different, and it would have ended very differently for Esther and her family. Number three, what can we learn from Esther? We can learn this. Perhaps we were born for such a time as this. And, you know, I have, I, I bet Esther asked the question a few times, God, why did I have to be born right now? Why couldn't I just be ugly like so many of these other women around me? <laughs> I mean, really? She was suffering because of her beauty. I think she probably had a lot of questions. I've had a lot of questions, you know, in my life, and, and especially in the last few years about when I think about, you know, things I see happening in the world and God, why, what do I, I don't know if I can stand up against this, but you know what I know? God spoke to me a few years ago when I was just really in some fear and, and he said, you know what? You couldn't stand up against it right now, but you will be able to when you need to. The word says, my God shall supply all my need. You don't need it right now. That's why you feel like you can't do it, but by golly, when you need it, I'll be there for you. I'll give you the strength and the courage to stand up against whatever you need. And that's what he did for Esther. And I believe that's what he'll do for me. Yeah. Number four, in the kingdom of God, victory and promotion are born out of trusting God. And we're, all, we're often trying to, uh, to, to win battles without having to trust God. We think if we say all the right things, you know, I'm speaking it except that there's no faith behind it. And you really haven't consulted God as to whether or not that's even the right thing to be speaking about. I mean, our words matter. you got to hear me. Our words are huge, and they, they are a big, big, big deal. But they ought to go through the filter of the Word of God and through the filter of much prayer and, and fasting. But, but true promotion... And true victory comes out of just trusting God. In uh, chapter 4, verse 16, it says that um, she said, you know, she tells Mordecai, hey, gather all the Jews in Susa, tell them to, to, to fast. My maids and I will do the same thing. Then I'm going to go to the king. We're going to seek the Lord. Then I'm going to do my part. And then she says, if I must die, I must die. She was settled on whatever God did would be the right thing. And, and, and so we've got to learn to be able to trust God. We don't remember Esther because of what she had, because of her wealth or her riches or her status. We remember her for what she was willing to give up. And when I think about her, I think I'm moved to think about sacrifice. And in Philippians 2.3, it says, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. I see, I see Esther being asked to make a sacrifice for an entire nation. A lot of us won't make a sacrifice for one person. You know, I mean, it's a sacrifice to serve God. It's a sacrifice to put others first. Matthew chapter 16, 24 says, Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. 
If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? That is the question that was being presented to Esther. Here's the world. Or here's the God kind of life that is is was ordained for you before the foundation of the earth. And it goes on to say, um, is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. If you're not a person of sacrifice, read the book of Esther. And if you still don't recognize the need for you to lay your life down for someone else, read it again. And read it again and keep reading it until that begins to, to, to be real in your heart. Because our lives are not our own. And God didn't, didn't, doesn't give us the inheritance that he's given so that we can just sit on our hind ends and wait for it. There's work to be done. And that includes sacrifice. And I'm so thankful that we have someone like Esther that we can look to and say, Wow. If she can do it, she's just a simple, young, beautiful Jewish girl. But she, she was willing to give up everything, and it saved an entire nation. Thank you for being part of our podcast today. You'll find more online messages from Christian Ministries Church, as well as location information on our website at cmchurch.net. There's a place for you at Christian Ministries Church, where it's more than a church, it's family.